If you could have a conversation with anyone in history, what would you ask them? Hello, General Washington. Good day, Miss Tubman. I had to know, so I decided let's give them a call. Welcome, Welcome to the, the Calling, Calling History, history Podcast. Podcast. I'm Tony Dean, and today we'll be calling history to speak with Jack the Ripper. He'll be answering our call in early 1891, roughly three years after the Ripper murders began in a seedy part of England called Whitechapel. After listening to this conversation with Mr. Ripper, you might doubt the facts. But everything you are about to hear has been documented. The investigator who solved this crime has been vetted and endorsed by three of the world's top criminologists. One of those criminologists worked as the chief medical examiner for New York City for 25 years and worked on high-profile cases including the Kennedy assassination as well as being hired by Scotland Yard to solve the Ripper case. The second criminologist had assisted in more than 8,000 criminal cases, including O.J. Simpson, John Benet Ramsey, Phil Spector, and whose brilliance played a significant role in the safe recovery of Elizabeth Smart. The third one worked on the same cases mentioned, as well as the Branch Davidian fire in Waco, Texas. These facts have been substantiated, and now you're going to hear it from Jack the Ripper in his words. During this discussion, it might seem as if I admire the Ripper's cunning, but make no mistake, I don't endorse violence against women or murder or any of this skullduggerous fuckery. I speak to him in this way to gain his trust only. Stories like this tend to get romanticized as time passes, but make no mistake, the Ripper is a killer. If you have a squeamish stomach or are easily offended, you should not proceed. Do not listen to this while there are children around. This discussion includes violence to women on a horrific scale, including rape in more than one form, cannibalism, insults to the Catholic Church, insults to God and Jesus, and murder. Do not proceed if you can't handle this. There is nothing glamorous about the Ripper murders. But if you can handle it, you're going to learn what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and who hired the man to play the role of the person you call Jack the Ripper and his team. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow history lovers and costume jewelry salesmen everywhere, I give you Louis Deemschutz. Hello, is that you, Mr. Deemschutz? Hello, Doc. You have reached the International Working Men's Educational Club. This is Louis Deemschutz, the club steward. How may I help you? Yes, Mr. Deemschutz, my name is Tony Dean. I'm actually calling you from the future in the 21st century. The device that you're holding in your hand is called a smartphone. It allows us to speak as if we were face-to-face. And it also allows me to share a recording of our conversation with people around the world, which I think is important because it appears that you have been trying to make a very important statement about the women martyred by Jack the Ripper. I was hoping that I could ask you some questions, but before I do, I understand that this is a very strange introduction Can I answer any questions you may have first? Uh, Two questions. Number one, did you say martyred or murdered? I actually did say martyred, sir. And the reason I say that is because in the future, we have a lot of information concerning the Ripper murders. I think the crime has actually been solved. The thing is, though, is there's just not clarity on a lot of it. And people have misconceptions about what has actually happened. And I was hoping that I could ask you some questions to clear that up about what you were trying to accomplish. But before we go any further, sir, I understand that you're an educated man. I understand that you speak five languages and excellent English. If you wouldn't mind speaking with your American accent, that would be much easier for anyone listening, if that's possible. Yes, I can do that. Okay. Well, I I just want to, first of all, and I want to be clear about this, what we're discussing, this is happening 130 years in the future. 
so anything that we've said isn't going to be isn't going to affect anything in your time. You have done an incredible piece of work. The police are so confused. They don't know what's going on in your time. But in the They're idiots. <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear you say that they are idiots. You have crafted a riddle that it's amazing that that they figured anything out. But could you tell me a little bit about, I understand, what is your purpose in all of this with your team? What, what were you trying to accomplish? Well, first of all, it isn't what we were trying to accomplish, but what we did accomplish, and that is to eliminate what was called the sweating system in England in the 1880s, which was a quasi-slavery of the Jew. Many of my countrymen came over to England looking for freedom and equality, and instead were forced into a what was called sweating system, basically working like slaves for slave wages and being treated like dirt by those that had promised us a free life and democracy and a, the possibility to make a much better life for ourselves on their territory. And instead, we were betrayed and treated like absolute dirt something had to be done and we did it we also being anarchists socialist communists absolutely abhor prostitution we do not and did not hate prostitutes as such we hated the idea that women and sometimes children sometimes male children were being forced into prostitution by this horrifically corrupt system of government in England, the country where the sun never sets on the British Empire, where they had changing of the guard and tea and crumpets and fountains and beef eaters, and yet we saw the way they treated us and the way they treated some of their own people, and we knew that something had to be done about it, and we did it. You know, that has to be terribly frustrating, not only for you, but just the people of that area. Because my understanding is where you did this work was primarily in the Whitechapel area. And you've got Buckingham Palace, where everything is beautiful and perfect. And then you've got Whitechapel, which is basically the slum of all slums. In some of the reading I was doing, I heard that there were like 1,200 prostitutes in a, a city of in an area of like 60,000 people? Is that, does that sound accurate? Well, 12,000 minus 14. <laughs> or 1,200, 1,200. <laughs> so is that what it is, 1,200 people? Or 1,200 prostitutes? I, I never counted, but I would tell you that whatever the number is that you think it was, you may subtract 14 from that number. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, all right, I got it. So that, that's the number of murders that you were involved with? Is that number 14? Is that right? Or were there more? If there were, I don't know that I trust you enough to tell you about them yet. They may well, have I, been for other, other purposes. I totally understand that. I respect that. I, again, like I said, this is happening so far in the future. This will only help your cause and the message. But that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. Let me ask you about... And again, you're, you're going to probably be surprised that I even know about this. But again, we do have quite a bit of information about this. I understand that you were hired by Prince Kropotkin to, to begin this process. Is that correct? Yes. I was called upon to do my duty by Prince Pyotr Alexievich Kropotkin. And he brought me over from Mother Russia prior to the murders and put me in charge of what we called the International Working Men's Educational Club, which, in fact, was anything but an educational club, unless you consider the fact that we were educating our fellow Jews and working men about how much they were being oppressed by the British government. So I came over. I used a false name to come over because the British are so stupid, they had no idea that Diemschutz isn't actually a surname. They were dumb enough to believe that that was my name when, in fact, it's a, a made-up name that I came up with as a way to make fun of the British. <laughs> I came over under the name Diemschutz, which means protector of noble women. It can also mean protector of smoke, as in made of smoke, smoke and mirrors disappearing evanescent. I also, at times, to confuse the police and confuse the idiot newspapers and journalists, 
I gave them a number of different last names. The one was Diemholtz, which means wood smoke. And these idiots didn't even notice the difference between Diemschutz and Diemholtz. I used, I believe, a total of 14 different spellings of that name, Diemschutz, as a way of sort of thumbing my nose at these idiots. Well, and we've seen that. Like, there's, there's a lot of information that I've read about this, and this is one of the things I was going to ask you. It appears that you've reported your name many different ways, and that's what I was going to ask you. I was wondering if you were doing that to confuse the police, because from a distance here where I am, it doesn't look like they had any clue what they were doing. I want to... did. Let me go, when you had said you picked this name, meaning protector of noble women... That's really confusing because if you're the protector of noble women, well, why go and find these prostitutes and kill them? Why not protect them in some way? Well, that shows me that you have the same misconception that the fucking idiot British have. You don't think a prostitute is a noble woman, do you? You think she's probably a piece of trash that should be disregarded and mistreated. We believe that these women were forced into prostitution, and what could be more noble than selling your body as a slave in order to protect your family, to feed your children, to feed yourself when you're being oppressed by a government that has zero care for you or your welfare. I believe that in what we did was actually to protect these women, to save them, and in fact we did, because this, I hate to call her queen, but Victoria... She was forced to clean up the Whitechapel area in terms of the poor prostitutes that were forced to sell themselves for a loaf of stale bread or a couple of pennies, miserable sleeping in DOS houses or roach-infested boarding house, or even some of them paying to hang their body over a rope to be able to sleep semi-standing. Those women, in our mind, were the noble women, not these harlots that would dress in their, with their bustles and their fancy hats and their fancy gloves and their lace-up boots. Those weren't noble women in our mind. Those women were trash. See, that's the reason that I wanted to have this conversation. Because, and, and I appreciate you calling me out on this, because you're absolutely right. I mean, these women certainly didn't want to pick that. As they, you know, they, when they were young girls, they probably didn't grow up thinking that they were going to sell their bodies to men that would give them no respect. These women are just trying to support their families. It makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So are you, are you also saying that by killing them, that your plan is to create this propaganda machine or this, you know, all of this news that causes people to stop prostitution in the future? I mean, what was, what was your thinking there? Our thinking was, is your name Tony? Is that what you said, Tony? Yes, Tony's fine. Tony. Odd name, that. <laughs> Probably not really common. Mm, certainly not in Whitechapel. In any case, I'm, I'm assuming that it's a diminutive of Anthony. I would prefer to refer to you as Anthony. Please do. All right, Anthony. To answer your question... This was a war on prostitution. And in order to win this war, as any war, there are casualties. And in this war, there were going to have to be casualties. And believe me, it wasn't going to be me, it wasn't going to be Samuel, it wasn't going to be Isaacs, and it wasn't going to be any of the men of my club. In order to bring the world's attention to this horrific situation in Whitechapel, we chose the most pathetic, destitute women who had no future and probably wouldn't have lived long anyway, we chose them and singled them out in order to bring the world's attention to what was going on through these horrific murders, what they would refer to as horrific murders, and they were, in fact. And what we did was we sacrificed 14 martyrs. That's why I refer to them as martyrs, and I was surprised you did. You must know more than I think you know. I do know some, yes. Maybe you'll tell me how later. <laughs> in any case... We chose these women to be the casualties of war. They're heroes in our mind. They're noble in our mind. And their legacy lives on in the fact that that foul Victoria was forced to get off her high horse and do something about the conditions these women were living under. Does that answer your question? It does. And I, I guess where I'm wondering, so uh, Prince Kropotkin, 
recruits you to do this, and then my understanding is that you recruited a, a, f- a few other, and you just mentioned their names, I think, Isaac Kozabrowski, I think, and Samuel Friedman. Kozab- yeah. H- how did you recruit them into this? What did that look like? Well, as I told you, Prince Kropotkin created the International Working Men's Educational Club to bring together like-minded Jews and working men that were being oppressed by the British government. It was no s- small task, but I was able to filter through these men and find just the people I needed for the mission. I needed someone that was bent, uh, what you would refer to as perverted, malleable in the sense that I could mold his thinking and convince him that what he was about to do was for a good cause, but I needed someone that had that inclination. He had to already have an innate cruel streak, and I was able to find that in young Isaacs, who idolized me. I was able also to find... Samuel, who was my, what you would call an enforcer, he basically was the muscle. He was my lookout, and he was also dead set against the sweating system. He was far more educated and sophisticated than was young Isaacs. Isaacs was a pawn in this game. I also had some help from some other people. But just to be clear, you're talking about Isaac Kozabrowski. Isaac M. Kozabrowski, yes. Okay, keep going. I also recruited some other members of my club to help me peripherally. Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we won't. But the main players in the game were, of course, Prince Kropotkin, whose idea it was, whose brilliance led to this mission being accomplished, and young Isaacs, the perverted young man, and Samuel, who is idealistic, altruistic, somewhat sophisticated and and educated, and had a strong belief, as I did, and as Kropotkin did, about destroying the sweating system, and a little bit less, but he also disagreed with the prostitution angle. I didn't realize how significant the sweating system was, but it sounds like the the club basically was pulling together like-minded people that were just tired and fed up with that system so that they could fight against it. And was yes. did you have a lot of people in the club? Yes, we had over 200 members. Oh. But you have to also remember that there were factions within the Jewish community who had different ideas about how to handle this situation. There were those sissified pacifists who believed in working with the British government and trying to solve our problems in a peaceable ma- manner, which was not feasible in our mind. So we had enemies within the Jewish community who were fighting almost against us to work with the British government. So we would have had far more members, and I think we probably had a few members of our club that were sort of spies for the other faction. We dealt with a couple of them, and I believe that for the most part, our members were all solidified in in their views. We had a common goal, but we only let certain members know how far we were going in our mission to end it. It would have been really hard to choose who to trust and who not to trust. That's why I was chosen. Well, obviously, the prince knew what he was doing when he picked you because what you put together here is amazing. Let me talk about the first murder. I think that was a woman named Ada... Well, that wasn't actually a murder, but an attempted murder was Ada Wilson. I think you're missing one. Perhaps your futuristic detective that solved the crimes wasn't aware of Annie Millwood. But that doesn't surprise me. We started with a a woman named Annie Millwood, who we attacked in the street, but she wasn't killed. Isaacs was nervous, young, unexperienced, and he merely stabbed her a number of times, and she survived, as did Ada Wilson. Emma Smith, you could say, was the first murder because she died four days after we attacked her. However, the first actual murder which we accomplished was a woman named Martha Tabram, Well, let me go back to... So Annie Millwood was before Ada Wilson, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So when you say... This is one of the things that fascinates me. If you were to come into our time, most of the experts say that there were five murders. Now, that's... That'll show you how stupid they are. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people. There are a handful of people that have really done the research to actually figure out what's going on, but a lot of people say that there are just five. Well... And the reason that they picked those five is because there are five that are very graphic and very gruesome. 
they were the ones that happened after Emma Smith and after uh, Martha Tabram, starting with, I think, Marianne Nichols. But prior to that, it kind of looked like the person that was doing this didn't know what they were doing. And I think you just explained it. So when you guys, or, or when you met Ada and Annie, Isaac was nervous because he had not killed before. And he was only 17 other? years old. He was 17 years old. So what made him he think no he idea. would kill? Well, we, we knew from talking to him that he had his sort of perverted fantasies and he loved the idea when he was approached with it. And we knew that he was willing, as malleable as I would say, meaning we could formulate his, his thinking, we could sort of coach him and, and bring him along. But he was nervous and inexperienced, and it took him a while to get sort of into the groove of it all. But before he actually accomplished the first true murder, he bungled the first couple. He was practicing. He was learning his trade. So what did the the very first murder, what was the plan? What was the plan with Annie? The very first attack, what was the plan? The plan was to murder a woman in the streets who was known to be a prostitute, to bring the world's attention to Whitechapel, because Whitechapel was the epicenter of the sweating system and the prostitution in England. And we knew that, to borrow a phrase that was probably coined much later, sex sells. And we knew that a graphic killing of a prostitute would gain the headlines, first in England and later around the globe. So that was your plan, to get headlines. And that makes total sense. And believe me, you got the headlines. You still get them today. But specifically with the first attempt, with Annie, what was the plan? Were the three of you going to work together? Was somebody going to go up and talk to her? I think she was a prostitute, is that correct? Yes. We actually went out as a team, chose a victim that was an obvious prostitute, and then Samuel and I stood by, rather Isaacs, I refer to him as Isaacs, but in any case, we knew that Isaacs was capable of committing a murder, or rather we thought he was. So we stood back and watched, and we realized later that he didn't know what he was doing, and he was nervous, and he, he bungled it. He didn't stab her properly. He didn't do a good job of it, but he did gain us some headlines, not what we were looking for. I see. It, but we learned from it. He learned from it, and we went on to try another, and then another, and then another. Was Annie Millwood the one that was stabbed in the legs and the abdomen? Yes, and also the buttocks. I understand that in later murders that the uterus was cut out of the prostitute that was killed. Was that was he attempt, what he was attempting to do? Was that part of the plan by stabbing her in the abdomen? No, not yet. Not yet. That hadn't come up? No. Okay. Because we did it in public, we knew that he wouldn't have much time. We knew that he was young and fleet of foot and that he could run away before anyone could catch him. The plan evolved over the years. Did it evolve because Prince Kropotkin was telling you what to do or because you were evolving it with the team? Both of us. Were you in regular communication with the prince? Oh, yes. You were. Okay, so you were discussing this. Did he know that these first two attempts were bungled? Oh, yes, and he was not happy. What happened there? Well, he brought us together, scolded us, told us that in order to accomplish this mission, we had to do a much better job. He left it to me, but he said that I hadn't done a very good job of planning, and so he helped us with the planning after that. Mr. Deemschutz, is it okay if I call you Lewis, or do you prefer Mr. Deemschutz? You can call me Lewis if you prefer. Thank you, Lewis. Let me ask you a little bit about the prince, because I am... I'm very interested. This person sounds like he was far ahead of his time. It seems like he was a big thinker. I read a little bit about him, and I understand that he was he was involved in some assassination attempts, and he was thrown out of countries and did time in prison. This guy's a big thinker and a big mover in the world. I mean, am I right on that? Can you tell me a little bit about him? Well, yes. Prince Kropotkin had been exiled from a number of countries prior to these murders because he had organized political assassinations in places like France, Switzerland, Russia itself. And he had the idea that murder was necessary in certain cases to bring attention to the cause. 
something we would call propaganda. And when we committed these murders, the idea was to follow in sort of in line with what Kropotkin had done in the past, but in a different way, to assassinate people that were standing in the way of our progress. Kropotkin was already experienced in that way. He knew what could be accomplished through murder. He knew what was necessary, and which is why he picked me, because I had a background, military background in Russia, executing certain missions for him and for our cause. You had a military background? Yes. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I was an elite assassin in the Russian military. I'm not able to tell you too much about my background because I'm not sure how much you already know. As we go along, I may release more details based on what you think you know. Okay, well, I, I very much appreciate that. So let's go forward. So we got Ada Wilson and Annie Millwood, and these two don't go quite as planned. We got young Isaacs, and he is learning his trade. And now it is time to move on to Emma Smith. And forgive me, I, I may be mixing this up. Emma Smith reported that she was attacked by a gang attempting to rob her. And it's interesting because in this, in this time, some of the people that report themselves as experts will say that she wasn't part of this because she was attacked by a gang because the Ripper was one guy. So once again, they, you know, the people haven't done the work to understand, but the gang was U3, wasn't it? It was. It was. And this one also did not quite go as planned because she lived but this attack was pretty violent. Can you tell me about what happened with Emma Smith? Well, we followed her down Wentworth Street. We chased her down to the corner of Osborne. Basically, I approached her. I punched her in the face. And from there, Samuel stood guard. I gave Isaacs his orders. He raped her. He actually took out his jackknife, and he used it to rape her after he actually raped her. And that caused the injuries which later killed her. Lewis, why is it necessary for Isaac to rape her? These women have already seen enough abuse. Why not just quickly kill her and then, you know, do whatever you need to do to make it look good for the newspapers? Why rape her? It was part of Isaac's reward. As I told you, he was perverted. And in order to fully recruit him and to fully gain his allegiance, we let him have his way with her. By the looks of things, it appears that once he got good at this, he got really good at it. Did, did Isaacs get to a point where he started liking this? Oh, he liked it from the start. So he was loving it nervous, not nervous afraid. I'm sure he was fascinated and he was sexually aroused by the whole idea. And allowing him to rape Emma Smith was sort of a reward to allow him to lose his virginity and to learn exactly how it would feel to fulfill his fantasies. Isaacs was a virgin when he raped Emma Smith? Yes. Wow, okay. Oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine what it looks like putting this in the hands of a crazy, perverted, 17, 18, 19-year-old kid. Gosh, that's wild. Emma lived, though, didn't she, after all of this abuse for several days? Unfortunately. That had to be agonizing. And then she eventually died. Was she not able to give enough information to the police about who you were so they could catch you? Well, she did give the idea to the police that it was a group of men and that one was a teenager. One was a middle-aged. I think she said I was about 30. She was close. And she said that another man was probably in his 40s, which she was correct, and that Samuel was 42 at the time. How, how old are you to, right now? 29, according to British records. Actually, okay. 37. Okay, so, so then we've got Emma Smith. And Emma Smith does not die right away. And then we go on to the first successful, mur I suppose, murder, and that would be Martha Tabram. Martha yes. Tabram, this, when I was reading about Martha Tabram, this blows my mind. Because Martha Tabram was stabbed, per what my reporting is, 39 times with two different knives. Now, I'm guessing when somebody is attacking somebody, they're not holding them down. I mean, they're not talking 
telling, talking them into laying down and then stabbing them with a knife in each hand. To me, two knives means that two people are doing this. But 39 times is vicious if that's what happened. And yet, they didn't necessarily say that that was part of the Ripper crimes. And there's still a lot of people that don't. And, and that confuses me. Do you know why? Why? Because they're stupid. <laughs> I'm sensing a trend because whenever, whenever I bring something like that up, you say that they're stupid and honestly it does appear that way. So he stabbed her 39 times and I, I'm wondering if what was the purpose of stabbing her so many times? Isaac was in a frenzy. I only stabbed her a few times what was necessary. Samuel stood by and guarded, and since there was no one coming, we just let Isaacs go crazy. You knew Martha, didn't you? I knew her. Can you tell I me sold her costume jewelry. Tell me about that. Well, young Martha, not so young Martha, was attempting to leave the world of prostitution through the sales of costume jewelry. She asked her husband, in fact, I read later, for his last paycheck in order to buy costume jewelry from me to resell in order to earn money so that she could leave the world of prostitution. And so I used that as a ruse to get her to meet me in the stables where I kept my pony and behind where she lived in George Yard. I got her to meet me at 2 o'clock in the morning just after she finished her nightly shift and I finished mine where I used to go off to a place called West O'Hill Crystal Palace and sell costume jewelry. And I knew that she would be finishing work about that time and that it would be dark and that it would be desolate. And I knew that would be the opportune time to attack her. So I set up an appointment with her to meet me there. And I had Samuel and Isaacs hidden in the darkness of the stables. And once I got her sort of confidence, they came out from the shadows and we as a team attacked her. What did that attack look like? It started with Isaacs coming up behind her and putting her into what you would call a half Nelson hold, one arm underneath her arm and then cupped behind her neck. He used his other hand to cover her mouth and pull her head backwards to expose her throat for me. I chose instead to stab her in the heart. After that, I made a couple more cursory stabs at her. When she was incapacitated, Isaacs took over and in a frenzy, he stabbed her, must have been another 36 times from what you're describing. Why did you stab her in the heart? Was there a purpose behind that other than just to make, it, make sure she died? Well, in my past assassinations that I did in the military, I found that a quick stab to the heart would end their life quickly and that I wanted to be damn sure this one died. I see. A little bit more of a calm, sensible approach of a military man that has been here before than the frenzy that Isaacs was in. Correct. When you say that you were selling costume jewelry, I mean, an, an ex-assassin selling costume jewelry, that's a pretty big stretch to go from one to the other. H how does that happen? Well, I had to appear to be a sort of innocuous, helpless, everyday working man to the police who would inevitably come to my doorstep at the night of the double event. So in order to set up a sort of persona for myself, I chose costume jewelry sales. I also knew that that was a way to meet women. Oh, so this was a plan and a ruse. Quite. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now the first successful murder has taken place. Martha Tabern, Tabern is dead. At that point, where is the team? Are you guys nervous that somebody is suspicious of you? I mean, you've had a couple people get away, a couple women get away. Are, are you thinking that somebody's on the hunt for you? What's happening now? Certainly we knew someone was on the hunt for us, but we also knew of their ineptitude. So as we progressed with our killings, we gained more and more confidence. We were very bold. By the time we got to the double event, for example, we actually pulled that off at our own club's doorstep for propaganda purposes, yeah. knowing that these idiot police would never catch us. That's why you did that when you did the double event? Was it almost like a game to you? Oh, well, that's an element of it, certainly. It wasn't a game. It was a very serious cause, a very serious mission. However, we began to treat it as a game because Prince Kropotkin was of the belief that the, the police were to be made fools of. The police were to be made at every turn to look 
as inept and incompetent as they actually were. Our mission, part of our mission was to expose to the British public just how incompetent their police force was. I see. So you're unhappy with everything that has to do with the British, the way they're treating the Jews, you're unhappy with the police, you're unhappy with what is happening in Whitechapel because it is, it's the bottom of civilization. You're trying to expose it all. Yes, and we did. You definitely did, no question. Is that why you started playing games with the letters that you sent and the messages and the, the cryptic clues? Yes, that was part of illustrating to the public. In some cases, the public was too stupid to see it as well. But we enjoyed playing our little games. We left little cryptic clues here and there that the police were completely unable to decipher. So it was a bit of a game. I enjoyed it. Even the name that I chose was a bit of a, a game, sort of thumbing of my nose at the authorities. I can only imagine when you were at the IWMEC, when you were at the club, and you would get the newspaper for the day or the week or whenever they came. I just have to imagine that you guys would sit down with some cigars and read that and just laugh at how wrong the media and the police were as far as what they were reporting. Yes, and we would plan our next step and how we could further ridicule them, even if they didn't know we were doing so. Gosh, incredible. Okay, so now we have Martha Tabram and... Then it's time for Marianne Nichols. The doctor said that when she was killed, and I want you to tell him, at least this is what I read, the doctor said that when she was killed that, some, that you had, somebody attempted to cut her head off. I don't know if that's... Yeah. What can you tell me about Marianne Nichols? Well, we, we did attempt to saw her head off in a sort of a, a thumbing of the nose at the Catholic Church because they have this ridiculous worship of, of John the Baptist whose head was removed and was actually missing for some time. And we did commit a couple of our killings on the dates when John the Baptist was beheaded and another on the date when John the Baptist, his head was actually found. So Annie Millwood, the first woman that you mentioned, we, we attacked in the street, we strategically chose that date as the feast day of the first and second findings of the precious head of John the Baptist. We actually chose that date for that reason. We also committed Polly Nichols, Marianne Nichols. We committed her murder on a date which was called the after feast of the beheading of John the Baptist. So because of that connection, we thought that sawing her head off would be appropriate. However, Isaac and his jackknife weren't up to the task, so he didn't complete it, but he at least attempted it. He tried to of course, saw no, her head off with a jackknife? Yes, but he had not the experience and the weapon was not suitable to the task. However, it was a sort of a tip of the hat to the after feast of the beheading of John the Baptist. We thought maybe some clever policeman would notice or we thought that at least someone from the Catholic Church would notice or someone, even a, a fellow Russian who was not part of our cause, we thought he might point that out to the police, but he never did. No one ever did. This would be one of the clues that the police missed. Oh, yeah. They missed it. It seems to me, when you talk about Isaac cutting her head off, and you said Polly. Is Marianne Nichols and Polly Nichols, is that the same person? Yeah, Polly was her nickname, her street oh. name. D did you know her? Yes. Whitechapel's a very, very, very small neighborhood. I'm not sure if you've been there, but... It's a very small area. People may think that Whitechapel is a huge neighborhood, and it isn't. It's very small. You can walk the periphery of Whitechapel in 35 minutes, and in that small area, you would see certain women who are obviously selling themselves, and she was one. Have you spent time with prostitutes? Myself, I would never touch them. Okay. I was just curious. Polly uh, Nichols. I understand something was said about a hat that she wore, and I may be mixing this up as well. In fact, it seems like throughout this murders, there's a lot of talk about hats, and the Ripper was seen wearing this hat, and then somebody had some jolly bonnet or something. Does this have something to do with Polly Nichols? Well, she was quite proud of her bonnet. She thought that it was quite beautiful, and in fact, prostitutes in our area would invest what little money they had in hats in order to attract customers. 
since you've pointed that out, I might tell you that Samuel was a hat maker by trade. Isaacs worked in a hat factory. My own wife worked in a cap factory, which is why I have a number of hats that the three of us wore at different times in order to confuse the police. And the hats did play somewhat of a part in the murders in that women that we knew from our dealings with the hat industry were chosen specifically in one case, though it wasn't Polly, Samuel actually gave a particular woman a hat and told her to meet him the next day at the same location for more. And that's how we identified her as the victim that we needed, that we had chosen. Who was that? That would have been the second of the double event murders, Catherine Eddowes. Catherine Eddowes. So you marked her with one of your hats. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So we now have a team of four. We have the prince, we have you, we have Isaac, we have Samuel, and then you just mentioned your wife. Your wife's name is Anna, is that correct? Sarah Anna, yes. Oh, Sarah Anna, I'm sorry. How much did Sarah Anna know about this? Only what she needed to know. Did she know it was happening? Oh, yes. But she only needed to know a certain amount. So I only told her what she needed to know. Was she comfortable with that? I think so. I don't think she objected too strongly. She knew what we were doing and why. And she absolutely abhorred the prostitutes in the area for different reasons than I did. She understood the cause and the price. She understood the cause. She understood the price. And I think she resented those women for her own reasons. Which would be what? Well, petty jealousy of another woman and her sort of attraction to males, and her loose morals, and her sort of decadence. So, in between Emma Smith and Martha Tabram, there there was a four-month window there. What was the purpose of waiting? Because after that, it seemed that you went on a killing spree. But why the window? Why the wait? We had to really organize ourselves properly, and... The prince was on hiatus for a period. The prince would frequently travel overseas on various missions for the anarcho-communist cause. So while the prince was out of the country, we decided that we would hold off until he was back and we could regroup and formulate our plan. Did the prince live there? Yes. He, so he was in London when you were committing these murders, at least a majority of significant amount of time. Yes. Why is it that if he has such strong feelings about this, why isn't he doing part of this work himself? Why is is he hiring it out? He was far too important to the cause to be a casualty of war. We could not let him in any way, shape, or form be incriminated or exposed. You were trying to insulate him. I see. As a good soldier would do. It was necessary. I understand. I understand. Okay, so I don't see your generals going out on the battlefield, do they? No, you're absolutely right. You definitely don't see the generals out on the battlefield. Not, you're, you're 100% right there. Somebody's got a lead, right? And he did. Yeah. Okay. So then what happens after we get done Martha Tabram and we got Polly and we're getting close to the double event. And the double event is... I don't know if anything is more studied than the double event in history, but before the double event, you've got Annie Chapman. And Annie Chapman Chapman is the first one, I think, where you removed her uterus. Is that correct? Yes. And she also had something to do with the jewelry, is that right? Well, Annie was one that sold costume jewelry that I, she resold costume jewelry that I sold her on occasion. She also sold flowers and trinkets that I provided to her, keychains and the like. And I knew that she would be the ideal victim because I knew how destitute she was, and I knew that she wouldn't be missed by many. Did you like her? I don't know that I liked her particularly, but I didn't hate her, nor did I hate any of them. Why take her uterus? Well, we had intentions, which we fulfilled during the double event, of drawing parallels to the Catholic Church and to something that we in Russia refer to as the Theotokos, which is the Russian name for Mother Mary, which you would call Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
And in one of the more popular prayers of the Catholic religion, which is probably the greatest enemy to our cause besides the British government, we knew that people worshipped Mother Mary, Theotokos. And so if you recall a famous prayer, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And so we referred to the womb. We thought the womb of a woman is the basic mother, the, the essence of motherhood. And symbolically, by taking that, we were insulting the Catholic Church. We made it more clear during the double event as we progressed in our thinking and our planning. But we began to tip our hat to that cause or that idea. We began to make it more blatant because we had chosen, as I told you, Theotokos Knights, Mother Mary Knights, for our murders in many cases. And we had planned for the future to use such knights, of which there are 12 in the Russian liturgical Bible. We think of it as being 12 great feasts, we call them, of the Theotokos. And we chose those knights for our murder strategically, thinking that the Catholic Church would notice and would be affronted by it. But they weren't. They didn't, unfortunately. They never caught on to that. No. But we made it as blatant as we possibly could without them even noticing. You know, in this time, there have been those that have studied that and addressed the Theotokos, the feast holiday, and that nearly all, well, it all, if not all of these murders happened on those days. And so that's why the specific dates were chosen, because they were on those days then. Is that correct? Oh, yes. And uh, we're, we're as far as Annie Chapman now, but I can tell you that Millwood was killed on the feast day of the first and second findings of the precious head of John the Baptist. Wilson on the icon of the Mother of God of the sign. Smith, April 3rd, in the Eastern Orthodox liturgics, was the synaxis of the icon of the Most Holy Theotokos, the unfading rose, the unfading blossom, flower of incorruption. Tabram was killed on the Valam icon of the Mother of God, also Easter Monday. Nichols, the placing of the honorable cincture or sash of the Most Holy Theotokos. It was also the restoration of the Church of the Theotokos at the Neorion in Constantinople in nine, the year 920 to 944. And it was also, of course, the afterfeast of the beheading of John the Baptist. Annie Chapman on September 8th, according again to the Eastern Orthodox liturgics, was the feast of the Nativity of our Most Holy Lady Theotokos and Ever-Virgin Mary, and so on. I can carry on with the rest of the killings, and tell you that as we go along, or I can tell you now, the, the further murders that also took place on Theotokos nights. I see. Now, this is going, anybody listening to this is going to have this question that I'm asking. And I, when I ask this, I want you to understand that I, 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 I'm hearing what you're saying, and that is your goal is not to murder people. You didn't come to England to hurt women, especially noble women. What you want to do is you want to sacrifice 14 or more, however many there were, to save thousands. And that is a, yeah. an, an age-old philosophical question. Would you kill this many to save this many? And obviously you would. I understand that your cause is just. So when I ask this question, tr please try not to be offended because I, I, I appreciate your honesty. And, but my question is this. You're obviously a very religious person and have strong beliefs to do these events on these specific days, and you're trying to protect somebody. But from a religious standpoint, is God the kind of person that just indiscriminately kills like this? Is he not a forgiving God? Well, it depends what version of the Bible you look at, the New or Old Testament. Because you have to understand, we are Jews. We don't respect the New Testament. In the Old Testament, that God is fierce, and he's vengeful, and he is strict and stern. And if you read your Bible in the Old Testament, you'll find many instances of violence and murder that took place for various reasons. We aren't respecting of the Catholic 
church and its Bible, we respect our own Torah, and we believe that in some cases, even if you, since you, you're, if I'm assuming you're a Christian of some sort, and even if you're not, the Christians believe that Jesus was somewhat vengeful, somewhat he would punish those that deserve punishment. He was forgiving in some ways, according to your thinking, not to ours, because we don't believe in Jesus. But we know that God would smite people. Do you know the story of Noah's Ark? Most definitely. Are you not not familiar with the fact that God decided to destroy all of those people and save only Noah? Are you not familiar with the Sodom and Gomorrah that the vengeful God destroyed and turned some to salt and burned them to death? You're absolutely right. There's nothing that says forgiveness about that. Well, I think you've answered your own question. Why do you hate the Catholics so much? Because of the way that they've treated me and my people throughout history because they would oppose the anarcho-communist cause and they would do anything in their power to destroy us. They are also, in our opinion, very corrupt. If you look at your Vatican and its gold and its riches, but yet they would allow millions to starve and to live in poverty, and yet your so-called pope is decorated in beautiful clothing and jewelry and lives in luxury in the seat of the Vatican. I mean, what screams hypocrite more than that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The Pope wearing his golden-laced mitre. Correct. I'm glad you used that word. We'll talk about it later. I I have a feeling you might have something to say about that. So now it is clear that you know what, that your team knows what they're doing. And you start playing with the police a little bit more and send... Is Before the double event, is this when you sent the Dear Boss letter? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that letter and who wrote it? Samuel wrote it under my instruction. We decided that we were going to send a series of letters to the police. And when we decided to do that, we decided that we would give ourselves a trade name. And Jack the Ripper seemed to be a good one. We decided that we would write to the newspaper and give the newspaper something to chew on, something to help our cause along, something that might titillate the public. So we decided to write the Dear Boss letter. And what we did was we wrote to the police and we sort of jeered at them and gave them some false narrative, some false sort of uh, clues to follow. We decided that that would be a, a very good tactic according to Prince Kropotkin's belief that the police should be ridiculed at every turn. So in September of 88, we sent this letter that Samuel wrote, I dictated, and we made some reference to this ridiculous thought that John Pizer, a local Jew that they called Leather Apron, was suspected of the killings. And we felt that he didn't deserve that treatment. We thought it was kind of funny that he got chosen as a suspect. So we gave a tip of the hat to the fact that he was innocent. And then we sort of made some reference to the fact that we were going to do more. And that in the case of some of the murders that we had done and that we were going to do later, that we would probably do something like collect some of the blood and that we would cut a victim's ear off in order to let the police know that this letter was authentic. I have a copy of the letter in front of me. And you said... That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. So you weren't talking about a leather apron. You were talking about that gentleman and them accusing him and basically saying he's not the guy. Give that, right. give that guy a break. Right. We were saying that they called, they called the man leather apron because he wore a leather apron apparently in the, the trade. that I don't know if he was a shoe repairman or some sort of a leather worker, but he used a leather apron. And because at the crime scene there was a leather apron hung over the fence drying out, They thought that it belonged to the killer. And then these idiots in the police, in this case, it was kind of not not much of a jump for them. So I'll give them credit for that. They uh, associated the idea that there was a leather apron at the crime scene. They associated that with the nickname of a guy called John Pizer, who was called Leather Apron and was known to deal with prostitutes. I see. Then in the letter it says, I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. 
Were you going to use that blood for when you, you wrote the graffito? Yes, I was going to use that to write letters. But in fact, I collected the blood for another reason. I collected the blood as part of an ancient ritual for slaughtering of animals. You see, as I told you, we didn't hate those women. And so when we killed them, we used a kosher killing method, which is called shichita, which is a ritual Jewish killing of animals in order to maintain their sanctity, maintain their cleanliness, in order to kill an animal in a humane way and in a way that would preserve their sort of purity. And that method, the kosher killing method, is used for all meats used eaten by Jews. And we did the same thing to these women. We used this kosher killing method known as the shichita, which involves a small cut on one side of the neck to release blood pressure, and then a further cutting of the neck, which would not cause a great deal of blood spurting and spillage and spatter, and the blood would be collected in a cup called a cliche, which is held usually by four men, each having the cliche, and they're called Cohen. And the Cohens are the men that collect the blood, and the blood is then used for further rituals, purifying rituals. So we did something similar to these women. We collected their blood. But I wasn't about to mention the cliche in my letter, which would point more towards a Jew, so what we did was we mentioned the ginger beer bottle because that was all the rage in England at the time. And we thought we would use that rather than the term cliche, which would sort of give us away, if you know what I mean. I do. I mean, that would have been like sending the police a picture of you. In a sense. That would have been too easy. You're already giving them enough clues. So you were going to use that blood also to write letters. And I understand that this, this kosher killing method, but you were going to use it to write letters as well. But apparently it... it it got a little gloppy and, and you weren't able to, to use it in that way. Is that right? Correct. And then in the letter you said that you were going to clip the lady's ear off at the next event. Which we did, but we did it at the Catherine Eddowes killing in Mitre Square. Unfortunately, Isaacs in his panic and his excitement lost the ear in the folds of Eddowes' clothing, was unable to retrieve it, so we used an apron instead. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing about this letter. You had said, my knife's so sharp and I want to get to work right away. I found that statement interesting. And the reason is because you said, I want to get back to work right away. And one of the other ones, it says, get back to work. Mm-hmm. If you're the person that is making the choices, who you're going to kill, who you're not going to kill, you can do it whenever you want. Yes. Yet... When I read this as I'm looking at it as somebody's planning something, this leads me to believe that the person doing the killings is maybe working. And when you're working, that means somebody else is responsible. Did anything come up about that? That, hey, wait a minute, maybe these people are being hired, maybe these people are mercenaries, maybe they're, they're working for someone else. Was there any news about that in the time? Not that I know of, and had there been, that would have been pretty close to correct. But I don't know of anyone surmising that. I think that me mentioning that we wanted to get to work right away was just a way to send them on a wild goose chase, let them waste all their energy, let them patrol areas. And meanwhile, we're out scouting and watching them and seeing their methods, which police officers are going where, which areas are being patrolled when, and we're gathering intelligence on our enemy so we could figure out when the best time and place would be with the least police coverage, and we would recognize our adversaries. Were they going plain clothes? Were they hiding in a particular spot? Were they tailing certain prostitutes? Were they perhaps posing as women, dressed as women? So we gave ourselves some time. We warned them, and then we walked around casually and observed our enemies in action so that we could plan our next killing in the most appropriate and safe way for us. It's no wonder Deemschutz and his team were never caught. Once the murderer was labeled as a single person, Jack the Ripper, none of the clues would have made sense, which is why the police were so confused. In the next episode, you're going to hear about the double event where Deemschutz orchestrated two murders at nearly the same time while he was in the presence of the police, giving him a rock-solid alibi. 
Thank you for listening to the Calling History Podcast. And if you have not subscribed yet, do it now. You won't want to miss what happens next.